tons of Mongolian beef. Yeah, so fetches. This is uh, obviously the the masses have been crying for this, and um, they've been hinting at it. You know, a funny precursor to this was being at Gen Con, and uh, the dealers there, some some of which are known name dealers, Star City, Troll and Toad, Cool Stuff, Gaming, etc. I would say all the biggest North American dealers are at Gen Con, and none of them really wanted anything to do with Fetchlands. And this is oh. a couple of weeks ago, so a fellow Tusk member, uh, Paul Callis, he was shopping around. He's got, I don't know, an extra 60 or 70 revised duels, and he was looking at, he has double power, but he wanted to upgrade to, to have double beta power. And, um... So, so yeah, so he was anyway just trying to dump some of this stuff that's just ridiculously high that he got for you know five bucks, and really no dealers wanted to, to get involved with fetches in any way, shape, or form. So you know, there's always these rumors that Watsi you know sends out feelers, warnings to their bigger retailers. I'm just curious if, if that happened or if they were just hedging their bets, thinking okay, you know this might happen, but there it did, and they look like all, they look like ass. I'm happy to say. Oh, I haven't also, even seen them. Do you have a Do you have a link to the? Uh... Yeah, I think right now they've got uh, they're up on Gathering Magic on the spoiler page. If you want to peek at them, yeah, I'll take a look. They also have really really lame flavor text. Um, oh boy, yeah. So most of the flavor text has to do with one dragon theme thing or another. If if we aren't being slammed over the head enough with how cool dragons are, um, they've cemented it with the with the fetch lands. I'm pretty sure Gathering Magic has the has the pictures. But anyway, and of course they're all stamped with the new. Um, uh, with the new hollow, hollow, the frame. frame, the new frame. Yep, and they're rare, so they'll get they'll get the hollow. Um, so anyway, you know the whatever it is, what it is. I'm, I'm obviously, but we all own eternal cards. It's not a big deal, but it may help lower the barrier to entry. Uh, significantly, I guess you were you depending on what blue deck you were looking at. That was f- maybe four or five hundred bucks. I don't know what what we're fetch is hitting a hundred bucks, right? Polluted Delta. Yeah, seventy five to hundred bucks. So, uh, so yeah, you get these lame-looking, um, you get these lame-looking fetch lands. I think, you know, it'll also help out, um, the modern situation with fetch lands. Now, this, this would imply to me that, that it's somewhere in this block we're going to get Zenda fetches. I, I think one of the other statements Possibly, they yeah. made was that they're no longer going to have half sets of whatever dual land is in standard. So, I think that, that lends itself to then, um, uh, Probably seeing a Zenda Fetch reprint at some point in this block, which will also help because I think now you're going to see Scalding Tarn is going to be worth more than Polluted Delta. I would guess right now on TCG Player you can get Polluted Deltas for forty five bucks. So as of this morning on the thirty first, oh, really? yeah. Jesus. So what's a what's a Scalding Tarn? Sixty bucks. So um, yeah, Fuck. that's that's quite a dip. I mean, I mean they were definitely a solid hundred dollar card. Yeah, mind you, if you want the original, I'm sure the original is still going to hold pretty decent value. Yeah, yeah. Because the new one looks ugly as sin. They are hideous, but they do find island and swamp. So um, there's probably a whole other discussion we could have on how this affects modern too. Like I think I think it's going to change a little bit on how you can build decks in modern. Um, I think you can probably get away with playing more basics now in modern. Not that there's anything that really punishes you for not playing basics in modern, but besides the occasional blood moon. But should be interesting to see how the mana bases there change when they've got the full Maybe. fetch lands. Maybe what they're gonna do is give us give modern all the fetch lands so they, they so that they can fetch basics and then also give them wasteland to punish them. I think modern really could use wasteland. I think it would make the format better. Um, right now, it's dominated by these four to five mana. Oops, I win the game combos, 
that are super frustrating to play against. They're kind of an inevitability. And, um, you know, forcing them into fetching basics and trying to figure figure out their battle plan would at least constrain them a little bit. Right now they can just fetch just total garbage lands. Um, and the pod deck's the example of that. The Kiki pod deck runs a mana base that looks like day-old vomit, and it, it it's just hard to punish that deck. So, anyway, it might have some interesting implications for Modern. They also spoiled the first of what I would assume will be a full cycle of charms, um, three-mana charms, and we got the bug charm. Uh, also on this podcast, just as a, uh, uh, as a caveat, no one on this podcast will ever use any of the new terms for the tribes. Uh, I won't even say the word, but the bug tribe word we will not be saying. It's bug. I don't even know it by any other name. Yeah, so if, you, if you're expecting that or if that offends you, then please never listen for the rest of your life. Um, but they spoiled the bug charm, and it actually looks it looks playable. It's not abrupt decay, but maybe it's your fifth or sixth piece of removal in a slower bug deck, like a bug planeswalker deck or a shardless bug deck. But it says uh, it's obviously bug to cast, and it's a uh, destroy target monocolored creature, destroy target artifact or enchantment, and then just. Uh, dis- Draw two cards, then discard a card. So you get looting, disenchant, and, you know, sort of this quasi-terror. So... That's okay. I mean... It's a pretty good card, yeah. I mean, I I can't think of a scenario where it's going to be dead that often, you know, because at a minimum it loots. Um, So any any deck that's looking to be in the fourth or fifth, sixth turn, maybe be a little bit more of a control deck, this card is probably going to compete for the space that, like, Maelstrom Pulse used to occupy or... Anything that's not abrupt decay, you know, any, any any more expensive removal spells. So, well, I remember in Bug Control, I was running Demir Charm for a while, and I really liked it. Yeah. So, I mean, this could be kind of the replacement for you know Demir Charm or the Diabolic Edict, the you know the crazy one ofs that any sort of Bug Control deck is going to run. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool spell. They they there's also supposedly going to be a cycle of rare uh, Dega Bug um, Junk instants that aren't called charm so the first one they spoiled is dega to cast it and it's called crackling doom um it's an instant and it deals two damage to each opponent important it doesn't target and then uh, each opponent sacrifices a creature with the greatest power among the creatures he or she controls oh so it's an edict uh and it domes them for two for dega and it doesn't target which is pretty sweet so you know it kills progenitus emrakul uh Maybe you can cack, cack a planeswalker with it. Uh, so it's sort of anyway another decent flexible removal spell that you know costs three. So but yeah, it's not going to be crazy because two would be uh, a little bit too good. But then it wouldn't be Dega, so you wouldn't. Yeah, uh, we also got a planeswalker, and uh, I'm not sold on him, but he he hits a sweet spot in that he's five, and he's Sarkin the Dragon Speaker. And he's got four loyalty, he's three red-red, plus one, until the end of turn, Sarkin becomes a 4-4 legendary 4-4 red dragon creature with flying, indestructible, and haste. So, he would slot into like a dragon stompy deck where you'd normally have like Stormbreath Dragon or Arc Slogger or um, maybe Siege Gang Commander if you're retarded and you play Mod Catcher, or... Uh, what was the other big dragon, like Thundermaw Hellkite? Yeah, Lightning, Lightning Dragon, all those old. So, pretty interesting. I mean, the obvious problem with him in, in Legacy is he gets swords, but the assumption in Dragon Stompy is maybe you've played a Chalice on one, or you've got a Trinisphere out. 
His minus three is he flame slashes, uh, which is four damage to a creature. I think that ability is pretty bad. That ability is pretty bad. It seems like minus three is a savage cost to pay to flame slash. Um, that probably could have been minus two, but whatever. I mean, you're paying five for this guy. He is he's a pretty expensive planeswalker. Yeah, I mean, when you're already not Jace the Mind Sculptor, it's kind of difficult. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, like, I guess it would have been cool if he could rape other planeswalkers. I don't know how they could have worded it, but... Just say Sarkin deals four damage to target creature or player. For minus three, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd i be fine with it. I guess maybe they don't want people getting domed for four. I don't know. Anyway, long story short, I, I don't that, that ability to me is a little bit fringy. And then his uh, ultimate is... Uh, his ultimate's kind of dodgy, too. Minus six, you get an emblem with, at the beginning of your draw step, draw two additional cards. And, at the beginning of your end step, discard your hand. So, grafted skullcap, right? Yeah, exactly. And, so, he's at the top end of, like, a Dragon Stompy Blood Moon deck curve anyway, and normally those decks are hellbent by the fifth or sixth turn. But, at the same time, you're really looking at five attack, right? Untap, five or six attack. Um... I find it hard to believe that if you have a 4-4 flying indestructible dragon, there's going to be a lot of incentive to vindicate it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just to get grafted skullcap next turn. So So you have to attack for 15 total, basically, before you're... Exactly. Yeah, yep. So so definitely EDH playable. Like, like I mean, realistically, 15 damage in EDH is, you know, right. whatever. Right. But I, I would say at this point, Koth and then Dragon Stompy Shell is a Planeswalker that's better. And I think if you're going to spend five on something, if you're going to play Seething Song and, and, and drop drop large bomb-like things, I just think Storm Breath Dragon's better because it can't be swordsed. Um, it has haste. And the upside, the late game of it, is insane if you can if you can Storm Seeker them and make it huge. So so how happy will you be when... Because I know you're going to play this card because you're going to get them. And, and, I, and I think you're going to play some. How happy will you be when you go turn one ancient tomb, Simeon Spirit Guide, Seething Song, Sarkin attack you for five, uh, for four? Pass. I think honestly, I would rather still have a Stormbreath Dragon, and I have done that several times. I have gotten turn one Stormbreath Dragon against Miracle players before, and it's a great feeling. Um, I, st- I still think Stormbreath Dragon is just better, but Pro White is a big deal. Yeah, Pro White is just such a massive deal. Even in even in modern, it's a massive deal. So anyway. He, he's at least interesting. I think they pushed it a little bit. But to your point, I think if the minus three could hit a player and, and hence hit other planeswalkers, he, he might have been a, a, a over the top. You know, he might have been a little bit better. And then uh, I think um, I think as it is, he might not quite make it. And they, they've also sort of spoiled the mechanics. Now The the uh, there's the prowess mechanic, uh, which is whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Which is an interesting mechanic. It's not quite Kiln Fiend, because you can actually play Moxes and trigger it. So it'll be interesting to see if they if they have a creature with prowess that doesn't suck um, and makes the cut in some kind of... You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of cards that fill that gap, like Young Pyromancer, Quirion Dryad, Kiln Fiend. You know, uh, what's that Chimera? Um, uh, Spellheart Chimera? Yeah, yeah. So they've, they've got a whole cycle of creatures that sort of do that as an inborn ability this one though does trigger on artifacts and so which sets it apart from all the other ones which i think almost all those exclusively well Quirion dryad requires colors and the others all require sorceries or instants so they don't have anything spoiled right now that isn't isn't a shit pile um the only one they've spoiled is dragon style twins 
which is a uh, three red red for a rare. It's three three. It has double strike and prowess. It's a human monk. Um, anyway, it's like something out of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and it has. Uh, anyway, it's not very good. If it had haste, maybe I don't know. I guess my bar for creatures is pretty high. Um, Delve is back as a mechanic, which is interesting. Morph is back as a mechanic, um, and oh, we got we got another mechanic which on the surface seems pretty terrible. It's called Outlast. And it is literally, outlast. yeah, outlast. It wow. seems to be on all of the white creatures, whatever tribe they're going to be. It is just simply <laughs> um, tap. It's tap this creature. So far, all of them tap. It's tap this creature and put a plus one plus one counter on this creature. That's all it is. It's like shitty spike. That's really awful. At sorcery speed, that's how bad it is. So, you know what? I would actually be okay with that being it. Like, at instant speed, because you could be like, oh, I'm going to block you, put a plus one, plus one encounter. Like, see, that's an interesting ability. Yeah. But just like, I'm going to tap my guy, do nothing, can't block, can't attack, that's terrible. Correct. It's terrible. I can play spells that put plus one, plus one counters on stuff without having to do that. That's... Also, also correct, yes. There's a new Tombstalker. I don't think he's going to make the cut either, because he's a little more expensive than Tombstalker. But he's seven black black with Delve. Um... And he's a flying 4-5, so he's smaller than, than Tomb Stalker. Uh, but he does have an ability. He has the ability X, tap, exile X creature, or, sorry, X cards from your graveyard. Target creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn. That's cool. It's cool. It's a slightly shittier Tomb Stalker in that it's more expensive and smaller. But if you really get your graveyard full, you know, you're playing Dark Blast or Life from the Loam or something, he has the potential to, to also be removal. So... He's interesting. He's an interesting uh, a guy. Um, I mean, I think if they really wanted to make him playable, especially in Legacy, just have an X Exile X cards, no tap. Yeah, yeah, that would that would probably probably merit inclusion in a deck if he could use it right away. Um, so anyway, that's all. There's a, another spoil card. Maybe this is very, very, very much on the fringes. I, I don't even think maybe modern. Anyway, it's a it's a rug colored enchantment, and it's also a rare. Uh, and it says, creatures you control have haste, so it's Fires of Yavamaya. And then it basically says, whenever a creature with power 4 or greater enters the battlefield under your control, you can draw a card. Probably not. Probably not going to make the cut anywhere, certainly in Legacy. Maybe in Modern it has a place, I don't know. But just giving your... I mean, we've already had a bunch of cards that say you're, you're, all your guys have haste and they haven't been good enough for Constructed. Uh, discounting Standard or whatever. So we had Hammer of Perfos, nobody played that. And so anyway... Yeah, this card's definitely not good enough. Like, Rug Delver's never going to play this, and that's the only real Rug deck in Legacy. And if you are a Rug mid-range deck, the only creature you'd be playing with power 4 greater is going to be Tarmogoyth. Yep, yep. So this thing is pretty much a box of shit. But it's interesting, we know now at least what some of the mechanics are. We know we've got fetches. So, um, I don't not a not a ton of talk, not, not a ton of stuff to talk about for, for now for cons, but maybe in the next couple weeks we'll, we'll get some more spoilers. It's interesting, though, because this, this card pool, cons, will impact Eternal Weekend, and it will impact uh, the subsequent GP. So this is a set to keep an eye on. You know, we've, we've had sort of a stale stale legacy format now for a couple of years with some clear best choices pretty much across the board with these big pillars of the format, Terminus crushing aggro and Delver sort of being the best creature and being in blue, and then, um, you know, the other side of of maybe the resurgence of elves and um, ha them having just this absurd finisher that they didn't have access to before. You know, this maybe there'll be something in the set that'll shake up that 
those four corners, those three corners. I guess there's also just and then show and tell, of course. Sorry. So I don't know if anything in here will will shake that up. It'd be great if it did, but uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. So. Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm interested to see what. I mean, I like the multicolored shardness of the set. I mean, I'm really interested to see what the non-blue shards get. So, like, Crackling Doom, I think, is a step in the right direction. Like, those are the kind of cards I want to see. Anyway, uh, one other thing is the charms are now bulleted, which irritates me beyond Yes, words. I noticed that. So, I guess they, they the average intelligence of a Magic player continues to plunge, and thus, um, choose one now must be bulleted, whatever. I mean, I guess semicolons are, like, too far? Like, I don't know anymore. But anyway... Maybe maybe they should actually have like an intro to English like grammar <laughs> that comes in the starter box. So that I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand that you know like if you're not a native English speaker, fine. But they also print cards in basically every other language for each group that's going to be playing Magic. Like that shouldn't be an issue. Yeah. But it's like that's that's kind of sad when it's like we need to bullet our uh, our points here. That's uh, yeah. It's it's pretty awful. But anyway, um, chalk that up to them. You know, also canning some of the mechanics and whatnot. I, I think it falls in line with what they've been doing. So, so that's it for cons. And the other thing now is the block changes, which really doesn't impact Eternal at all, but there's going to be no more core sets, and they're just going to have two two-set blocks per year. I think, honestly, we can expect most of the Eternal playables probably to come out of their bi-yearly commander dual sets and things. So I think that's going to be the primary venue for them to push the envelope on power level, you know. Um, but I find it, I just find it weird, I don't like that system because the accessibility of the cards is, is so small compared to, like, big core sets and releases, and I just don't like the stranglehold that those box sets have on the format and the growth and accessibility of cards. Well, maybe they've learned the lesson from the true name debacle, and they'll, they'll figure out a way to, to make that work a little better, but, um, I don't generally care because I just mass buy everything, but yeah, I see your point, uh, the whole true name thing, uh, the timing of it was crappy. I hope they don't ever make a dual commander 2015 set legal 20 hours before a major tournament. That was miserable. Um, trying to find it. Yes, yes, it was. So, um, so I guess that's news of the week. Want to jump into Gen Con? Yeah, Gen Con was. Um, so, just as a recap for those that don't follow it, Gen, Gen Con is uh, four days. It's August 14th through the 17th. It was the former home of Vintage Champs and Legacy Champs. It no longer is. Um, but, you know, it still had, I, I believe to date, the largest sanctioned vintage in the U.S. to date this year. Sanctioned vintage. How many people? Uh, check Eternal Central. I want to say it was just under 70 on the Friday. Fuck me, that's sad. Well, it's all relative. I mean, a 70-person sanctioned vintage tournament in the North America, you're, you're not going to have many, I don't believe. Oh, for sure, but it just, it, it's kind of sad to see that the format, it, it's been so excited with this, you know, Vintage Masters, and, you know, people are actually really getting excited about the format, and it's like, and we had a 70-person event. It just, well, it feels so lackluster. It, it does, but keep in mind, one of the one of the reasons I believe they moved Champs from Gen Con is the cost associated with getting to Gen Con and getting a seat at that Friday tournament means you're committed to going to Gen Con, which is an insane hotel registration system, buying a four-day badge, c coming to Indy. It wasn't like you could just drive in from Chicago to play this Friday event. You physically can't walk into the hall unless you get a badge. So, which, you know, I think was some of the some of the reason they moved it out of Gen Con was it was preventing people from coming. If, they, if all they wanted to do was play champs, you had to commit to this whole four-day thing. So, while I enjoy it, there's some people out there who probably aren't interested in it. So... 
But yeah, 62 people. But anyway, like I said, it's still the biggest sanctioned vintage tournament that we've had in the U.S. this year, I think. I have to look at TC decks. But um, anyway, um, interesting enough, the Friday tournament, the prizes were actual hot fucking garbage. Like there was, there were like packs of M15 for making the top four of a, what was, I guess ended up being a seven round, uh, seven round tournament, you know, that was a $26 entry fee. So fuck you to pastimes for that. Um, you know what I like when I play Eternal Formats? Packs of M15. Because I don't burn those for warmth afterwards. Yeah, I'll tell you a story about what we do with the packs after afterwards. But anyway, I ended up playing Forge Master Shops. I, well, Metalworker Shops, to be more specific. Um, not not for any particular reason. I, I, I know I wanted to play Workshops at least once over the weekend, because I don't get a chance to play Sanctioned Vintage much. Obviously, like most Americans, but... And I had gotten my shop signed, and they looked really sweet, and I wanted to play them. So I ended up going with the Metalworker build, which is, in a vacuum, is the most explosive version of shops, probably. Maybe you could argue the Affinity version. but um, So anyway, the list is on EternalCentral.com, but it's basically Tangle Wireless shops, and you've got Lightning Greaves in, in the place of that. And um, Oh, wow. So you can go like Metalworker, Lightning Greaves, hook it up, poop on you. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, so it's super explosive. The downside, of course, is that it leans heavily on, you know, on the metal worker. Um, it's worse, you know, way worse in the long game than the versions that have, like, Tangle Wires, Metamorphs, so on and so forth. So, super explosive shops. And I had, um, I have four Cavern of Souls main, which I think, I think once you make the choice to go metal worker, you are implicit, well, first of all, I've seen, you know, you I've seen people who play less than four metal workers, and I don't understand that at all because metal workers' value is so clearly in the beginning of the game. In the, the reason why you're playing that deck is because of the metal, like you're you're playing the metal worker version because of metal worker. So why would you run three? I don't uh, because you're a clown. I don't know either. But anyway, I think once you commit to playing four metal workers, you you should. I think you should commit to playing Cavern of Souls because. Um, you know, there's a lot of keepable hands in Vintage that Cavern of Souls just ruins. You know, the blue deck that plays, that had, keeps a hand with force, but keeps no removal. You, you just ruin them if you've got Cavern on a Construct. So, and my mana base... Construct, like, are, is Lotum Golem also a Construct? No, but it crosses a fro across a few important creatures in the deck. Um, Koldotha Forgemaster is also a Construct. Uh, Metalworker is a Construct. Uh, Triskelion is a Construct. Um, and then the, the, uh, the other one, then there's also some other shared creature types. So Lodestone Golem is a Golem, Sundering Titan is a Golem. Um, the only outliers are like Worm Coil Engine and Steel Elkite, but they're so fucking awesome that it doesn't matter. They could be creature type oof and they'd still be amazing. So, um, and when you've got bombs like Worm Coil, Forge Master, Sundering Titan, the Greaves becomes like having a Greaves in the, on the battlefield becomes insane. I mean, there were some turns where, you know, I chain Forge Master, Forge Master, my Worm Coil, get two Worm Tokens into Sundering Titan, Armageddon your world, then attach the Greaves to the Sundering Titan, and like, swing for seven. Fucking ten you, yeah, seven you. So, I think it's the it's the left side of the, the workshop spectrum, you know, super explosive. Um, it's, you know, I'm still running Chalice of the Void, but in, in, in a vacuum, you would think leaving out Tangle Wire would be a, a sin. Um, but in this case, it can work. You just, you've got to get these explosive hands, um, and you're just faster, you know. You can actually sometimes outrace Oath because you're so fast. Game one, you can just, you can just kind of blow them out. Um, so anyway, and then my board was just hedged against 
against Dredge, which, you know, anytime you play Sanctioned Vintage, I think you have to think about the impact of Dredge. You know, in proxy environments, there's less incentive to play Dredge because it's miserable. And um, if you can just make up cards on basic planes, you really have to be a, just a just a awful human being to play Dredge. So it was Sanctioned, so I hedged with, you know, the full four cages, Ratchet Bombs. Um, against Oath, I had Witchbane Orbs, four cages, two duplicates, and I in most cases, I brought Ratchet Bomb in against Oath also to be able to kill the Oath. And then my Shop Mirror sideboard wasn't great because I only I had three Crucibles. Duplicates usually decent. And then I, I put a Batter Skull in. I like Batter Skull and Shop Mirrors. Um, so And it's also good against the Abrupt Decay decks like uh, bug, Bugfish um, because sometimes they don't have a long-term solution to it. You can just bounce it and put it back down. So... And anyway, on Eternal Central, he's got a pretty good breakdown of the um, environment, and he's got some pictures and so on and so forth. I ended up um, the number two seed, I believe. Um, and yeah, he's got a whole metagame report there. So it was a nice, nice variety. I mean, you can uh, you can see Vintage has got a uh, real breadth of of archetypes. Um, I mean, on my team that showed up, one of us played Oath Storm. I played Shops. And our third member played um, like three color junk, um, hate bears, but powered, and uh, we all did pretty well. Myself and um, my other teammate both made top eight, and then I lost in the uh, uh, top four to Bugfish, which is uh, a bad matchup for shops. And um, sometimes you just can't beat them when you, uh, when especially when you're on the draw against them, it's. Uh, it's a tough matchup. They have all the removal. I mean, after sideboarding, there are like 10 cards in their deck that say destroy an artifact, you know. Um, so I don't expect to win that matchup a whole lot, especially on the draw. Um, they can keep up with your land destruction with Dark Confidant. They've got Abrupt Decay, which can handle your metal workers. They've got a bunch of one-mana counterspells that handle your stuff, from Spell Pierce to Steel Sabotage, Snapcasters to Flash It All Back. And honestly, probably the most, the biggest problem with that that deck is being on the draw against like just land death right shaman can be can be such a huge play against shops. And um, so anyway, now now they've got th they've even like I, my my last match I lost on Friday in the in the top four I lost to I mean he, he landed like energy flux against me I believe. Wow. Yeah. Get fucked. I mean that card is insane. So summer energy flux though. No, no. I will talk a little bit about some of the pimp. Um, we uh, one of the nice things about Gen Con is that the people who are playing vintage there are generally pretty dedicated. So um, there were all kinds of of pimp decks from like uh, all summer land bases to uh, some summer duels too. Uh, I didn't see any summer duels, but you know many beta duels, black border power. Uh, I saw a bunch of weird miscuts. Um, I shot you that picture of that Hercules that was miscut. Yep. With, uh, it was a Hercules that was miscut with some Mark Poole card. It might have been Fast Bond. And, uh, That's pretty cool. Yeah, so, and Nene Thomas and Mark Poole are both at Gen Con. So he, had a, he got a double-signed miscut Hercules Fast Bond, uh, which is pretty nuts. And um, there were a couple more people with the revised dual miscuts, and I'm sort of... I'm assuming those were probably hand-cut. Uh, I played against a Bomberman opponent who had, I think, three perfectly miscut on the corner side revised Tundras. So, not sure 
what those, who's making those, but somebody is probably destroying revised sheets and make, making those dual lands, I would assume, since they were just too savagely miscut to have been done on the, uh, on the factory line. Anyway. Um, yeah, so that was Friday, so I did pretty well. Oh, and for my trouble and nine hours of labor and uh, losing in the top four between myself and my teammate who, also, who lost – I beat my teammate in the top eight, and then I lost in the top four. And uh, for our trouble combined, we got 25 packs of M15. So Not even a box. Not even a box. Super excited about that. So uh, I was going to just – we were going to walk and get steaks after we finished the tournament because we were hungry. And um, so I was just going to open them up and rip them up and watch the casuals like try to reassemble the, the rares on the ground as we were walking out to the Weber Grill. But um, a man offered us a dollar a pack and um, – well, first I opened one pack while he was watching, and I was saying, who in the world would ever want these cards? They're garbage. And I pulled Garuk Apex Predator, and somebody from behind us kind of shouted, oh, that card's worth worth money. That's the best card you can pull. So I promptly ripped it in half in front of him and threw it on the ground. And then he was almost brought to tears by this, and he offered to buy the rest of the packs, and we settled on $25 for 24 packs. So that bought us, I don't know, three or four beers at the steakhouse, and... The rest of our evening, we enjoyed meat and booze, and so it was a good day. Um, Saturday, we oh another thing was the the organizers pastimes. Yeah, you know, I, I know it was only sixty eight people or whatever, but um, it was pretty much the the marquee magic event that was happening there. Um, so you get a lot of rail birding when you get sanctioned vintage. How was security with that rail birding? Uh, you know, because it's not as big of an event. Uh, you know, they didn't have any dedicated security, but they put it sort of on an end and, um, you know, for what it's worth, less coverage, less less hype, brought out less thieves. I w- nobody got anything stolen from from from, uh, from what I understand. I mean, everyone's really, really, really vigilant now, you know? Uh, yeah. So, but, you know, thankfully nothing got stolen off the tables. Um, so, oh, during this tournament, they were really happy with the turnout. They were also sort of embarrassed at the prize support, I think. So uh, they ended up announcing an ad hoc Saturday tournament, um, and they sort of apologized and offered better prizes for the Saturday tournament. Um, better being like uncut sheets of foil modern masters, um, which whatever sheets are sheets. Some people seem to like them. Some people like me don't really care and just want to convert them into beta cards. But um, you know, anyway, I guess the miscut guys can go at those too and make all kinds of crazy. Uh, Crazy miscuts. Whoa, miscut foiled our confidant. Yeah, so again, uh, Jason has coverage of that up on eternalcentral.com. Um, you can see the picture of me holding my sheet along with the guy who crushed me in the finals. Bug again, I lost a bug again. And um, this time, though, I didn't play Shops. I played uh, I played Dega in Vintage. Oh, baby. Yeah, so I was considering maybe playing um, Shops again or, or uh, Blue-White. But I decided to uh, to try something different, and so I kind of took my legacy stuff, basically, and added Moxes and um, a Black Lotus and um, a different sideboard. So the deck looked pretty sick. It was all baited out, all beta power, beta duels, um, and the list is on Eternal Central. But um, it's basically just a, a, a hate bear deck. And, uh... With Vampiric Tutor, Demonic Tutor, and... Yeah, yeah, sure. I had Vamp, and... I did have Vamp and Demonic. Um, I had a main deck Wear Tear, four Thoughtseize. It was... I was going for max disruption, so... My, my curve was, like, Thoughtseize into 
um, one of the following hate bears. I ran a f- the full four spirit of the labyrinth after seeing there was a lot of storm on Saturday or sorry on Friday. So I ran the full four spirit of the labyrinth, four tide hollow scullers, uh, revokers, two mind sensors, and a gentleman's agus of the gods to tutor four because there was also a lot of oath storm in addition to just plain old oath. So I didn't run Thalia. I didn't even have my Thalias on me. So I ran Stoneforge Mystic, which I thought, well, it is actually the best. Seems quite good. Yeah, it's the best creature against shops, pretty much, in a vacuum. Dark Confidant's really good, too. But um, against shops, your your ideal turn with uh, Dega Dude Sweats is Mox Land, you know, Stoneforge Mystic for Batterskull. Um, so, so it went pretty well. I played, uh, I ended up getting the finals of that tournament. I beat... Uh, I beat Storm, I beat Bomberman, I beat Storm twice, once in the Swiss and then once in the the top four. Um, I crushed Chops, mostly on the back of, of Batter Skull. Um, it was a it's super, you know, disruptive deck. You know, Tide Hollow Sculler was surprisingly annoying. One, one thing you'll find in Vintage is people can keep really, really fragile hands that are, you know, two, two discard effects away from just being in top deck mode. So um, he was actually pretty good. Um, being an artifact isn't good necessarily, unless maybe you're staring down a lodestone golem. But um, I think in, a, in an ideal world, I probably wouldn't necessarily play the scullers. I might move the revokers up to like four, and probably play some number of Thalia since I'm playing the full four wasteland. So, but it was a pretty cool deck, just as a change of pace. Um, the other card that really shocked me was Wear Tear. Wear Tear is a, a sick card in vintage, and it was, as you can imagine, it was almost always good. So. Um, so that was my experience there. I don't know that I'll ever sleeve up Dega again in Vintage, but at least I can say I did it, and I uh, I didn't lose a game until the final. So, anyway. Well, congrats again. I mean, that was a good good run on both days, right? Yeah, it was a really good run. I didn't really, I never lost in the Swiss, and then uh, I lost in the top four, and then I lost in the final. So, um, it also doesn't doesn't hurt that in general, if you were to make a generalization about Vintage players, some of them are really bad at creature combat. And so just playing a deck with a bunch of oppressive hate bears, sometimes you can actually just, you know, just gain little incremental advantage by people's inability to block and attack. So that's helpful. I had some, some really hilarious plays as the days went along. Uh, I, watched, I watched one guy set his top up uh, with Tinker in hand, and he goes to draw with his top, and then he looks at his hand, and he just puts his face down on the table... And realizes that he's just actually drawn his blight steel. <laughs> Oop. Yeah, yeah, you're pretty bad. And then uh, another good one is a guy is dying to his own mana crypt, and uh, we're sort of in a war of attrition. Me and this blue white bomberman player, who had a very nice deck, I might add. Uh, summer, summer basics, miscut tundras. He uh, he plays his trump card out of the sideboard, which is Magus of the Moat, who is a wizard. Wow. Yeah, he's got cavern on wizard, so. Anyway, he lands this thing, but he's dying to his own mana crypt, and uh, he has burned all kinds of removal on my creatures, and he had to burn, he burned his final disenchant on my stony silence, which I think in retrospect was sort of an error, because he didn't really have an active artifact that mattered that much. Uh, I know his end game is to get mages of the future and top, or or to get the Oriac salvagers combo online, but like... He ended up dying to his own mana crypt, or he's about to die to his own mana crypt, and in haste, he targeted his own mages to the moat with swords to plowshares, which I happily allowed to resolve. And um, only then did he remember that 
This is how unfamiliar I think vintage players are with basic legacy cards. He thought Swords to Plowshares, I think, was going to gain him three life from the Magus' ass, but he forgot that it was, in fact, a 0-3. So, so that was rather embarrassing. Um, and I, I won that match because my opponent doesn't know how Swords to Plowshares works, and he died to his own mana crypt. But that's life in vintage. So, But I had fun, and uh, it definitely... Got me some practice in for Eternal Weekend, which is sort of the lead-up for all this. And uh, I still haven't sort of decided what I want to play, but um, at least got me some practice. I, I don't anticipate anything from, from cons of Tarkir at least positively impacting workshops. You know, I don't expect some killer artifact, so anyway. So now Julian's here. So we've just gone through the vintage, uh, vintage of Gen Con kind of bullet in our, oh, yeah. in our list. Um, so I actually wanted to talk about Legacy Dega again because I've been tearing it up with that deck. And Dega? I think, you know what, Sean, I actually really like the list. What's Dega? Uh, black, black, white, red. Black, white, oh my god, that's the ugliest mana. Boros or whatever ever. it's called. Like black, no, black, Orzov white, red. and Boros together. Dark Boros. Yeah. Hey, Julian, yeah. just so you know, we, we, as a podcast and crew, we will not ever say the cons' names. We will never refer That's to very them. Good. We, they will be bug, rug, dega, etc., junk. So, okay, those are banned that, words. That's what sorry for. Yeah, I totally approve. <laughs> <laughs> so this dega deck, like I basically took, um, I took Sean's list from vintage and like ported it to back to legacy, and it's pretty fucking sweet. Well, that was a port from legacy. Um, I played. Well, I mean, but I didn't know your original list, right? Like, I didn't know. I posted it in the pimp thread. I mean, I know I don't contribute in the established deck thread, but you can find my deck lists through my pimp, uh, my pimp postings. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> so I mean, like, I'm running like four swords, you know, three bolts, uh, four stone forge, four dark confidant, grim lava mancers, deathrite shaman, lingering soul. Like the deck is really good. Like yesterday, I kept a hand on. I've got my. I took a picture of the hand that I kept, and I fucking destroyed. Okay, so this is the hand, okay? Dark Confidant, Scrubland, Hymn to Turok, Badlands, Bolt, Plains, Lingering Souls. So this is how it this this turned out. Turn one, Badlands pass. Elves player goes turn one, uh, Green Zenith on zero for Dryad Arbor. Bolt it. Untap, Plains, sorry, not Plains, uh, Scrubland, Hymn to Turok. Hit uh, Natural Order and Green Zenith number two. Pat, no, or was it double land? It was something crazy. It was good. Anyway, basically, he plays a land, doesn't do anything, pass. Uh, turn three, uh, I rip another bolt, so I go bolt, planes, dark confidant, pass. Like, it was, it was, it was pretty nutty. Yeah, I like the color combination. I mean, you've got, you've got hand disruption, you could argue, I mean, I understand abrupt decay exists, but you definitely have the best one-mana removal spells. Um, and then you've got, depending on what you're using for your long game, if you've got Stoneforge, or maybe Lingering Souls, or a smattering of Planeswalkers, um, yeah, you've got a little bit of a long game. I, I, when I played it, I slanted the deck way more towards white because I wanted to run Mirren Crusader because Bug was all the rage at the store. Um, and usually an equipped, I mean generally an equipped Mirren Crusader is just a giant studded fisting, yeah. And um, I also didn't play Deathrite Shaman because I pretty much wanted the deck to be not relying at all on the graveyard so I could have sideboard cards like Rest in Peace and not worry. So I, I ran Mother. Um, instead of Deathrite. I mean, Mother presents its own problems. You know, it's in a vacuum, it's probably a worse card than Deathrite Shaman, but if your goal is to equip a man and swing, Mother is 
pretty solid. But the deck still had eight turn one plays, which I like in these three color sort of uh, dude. Three color dirtle decks, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, you can either Thoughtseize or Mother Runes. You could argue that you could just run Thoughtseize to protect your Stoneforge target or whatever, or your Stoneforge itself. But um, against abrupt decay decks, Mother is can be pretty irritating. And I hedged the fact that all my guys had one ass by playing um, two Zealous Persecution main. And um, in the hopes that it's an automatic counterspell for uh, for their either their zealous or their Golgari charms, you know, game two. So I like Dega. Dega's and Dega's got some sick sideboard cards. I mean, you can you can cut across all kinds of decks. Like you've got Rest in Peace for graveyard decks. You've got Buku cards for Storm. You have Red Blast for Control. You have Engineer Plague for Julian. You have um, Chains of Mephistopheles was one of the sideboard cards I ran. Um, I, play, I play, actually played Slaughter Games in my side. Oh, that's actually what I'm playing, too. I think it's <laughs> really good, especially against Miracles, because you yeah. don't have a prop decay. Yep. So, like, here's my sideboard for this this deck. Uh, let's see. Two Grafdigger's Cage, two Chains, three Reb, two Wear Tear, two Zealous Persecution, two Duress, two Slaughter Game. It basically, you're cutting through most of the top decks in the format with that, like, particular list of cards, and it's like, yeah, goodbye. Yeah, I mean, the only thing, you know, you're obviously soft to the turn zero combo decks, but... I think there are probably a bunch of decks that could all claim the same thing, and you just sort of deal with the specter of that if you're going to play a deck without any Force or Mind Break Trap or any other bad cards like that in your sideboard. So um, I definitely think the shell is there to be a to be a good deck. I mean, it looks like we might get a, maybe a handful of good Dega-colored cards out of cons. So, uh, yeah, even this new uh, this new instant might might be worth a spot. So... Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it might earn one slot, at least in my deck, or at least a try, maybe as a two of, see what happens. Yeah. I mean, for me, I guess that's not the kind of deck that's, that's made for me. I mean, it's probably pretty good, and I know you, you sound like you know what you're talking about when it comes to the deck. For me, like, I mean, for me, there's one rule in Legacy right now, and that's you either play Acceleration, <laughs> or you play something really broken. And a color combination like Black, Red, and, and White has neither. And I mean, if, if that's not your credo when you come to the format, that's okay. But to me, it's either some kind of acceleration, be it Everwild or some mana dude or whatever, or do something broken. So you and don't, you don't you like opening on Thoughtseize? I, I hate, like, first, like, if you're not a combo deck, if you play first on Thoughtseize, that's really not a deck I want to be playing. That's fair. Because you fall behind tempo-wise. Well, I mean, the same could probably be our... I mean, essentially, it just speaks to how, how uh, constrained deck-building criteria is now, like, the fact that Deathright Shaman could go potentially in a Dega deck that has no concerns to ever have green mana shows you how retarded the card is. <clears throat> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I uh, we had a conversation at Munich yesterday about the legacy meta game in general, and I kind of have to agree that elves might actually be too good in legacy right now because the way I see it, there's elves and there's um, miracles. And those two decks are really, really strong and kind of restricting the way other people get to play. I mean, Miracles, obviously, via Terminus, is restricting deck building in a, in a really heavy way. And kind of, um, Elves kind of as well, because it's actually just a creature deck, but it's got this huge unfair aspect. And you're not really fighting non-creature spells, even though... Yeah, go away. <laughs> I don't want to see the card. It's Russian? What the fuck? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of... Like, fighting Elves is kind of unnatural, because you're fighting... You're trying to fight the non-creature spells, but then the creatures kill you, and if you fight the creatures, it's, it's like most decks are main deck equipped to fight creatures, they don't really bring in that much more. So, to me, I feel like Miracles and Elves are definitely 
overpowered and I couldn't complain if I've some lost something. And so what I was asking myself is what what did really happen that put elves over the top, like to the point where Fair you said right now, yeah, I don't really feel like it's Kratos. I think it's Deathrite Shaman because Deathrite Shaman. If you have Deathrite Shaman and Quirion Ranger over the course of two turns, you can drain for twelve life, and that's insane. I mean, you granted you have to give a land drop a land drop each turn, like you go minus one land on your board, yeah. but over two turns you drain for twelve, and that's just insane. It's the confluence of a few things. I mean. Uh, contrasting Crater Hoof as a finisher with, let's say, the some of the older options like Regal Force, which was not really a finisher in the sense that that turn he was going to attack and kill you. He was going to help you either keep chaining or ensure the next turn that you were going to win. And then the other one was Emrakul, which just from a logistics perspective was harder to pull off. It was, you know... I would even say that Emrakul was kind of win more. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah, there were, there were a bunch of times when uh, he was win more. But like Crater Hoof to me now... You you know I have lost on an elf's player an an elf player who didn't even understand how to float man that mana didn't float through into combat so a bad player <laughs> um, on his third turn and I've lo- I've lost on on uh, on his fourth turn with elephant grass out and you know a creature deck that's killing on ground based combat on their third turn to me is that's you know again it's it's. Yeah, it is a little bit oppressive. I mean, what, why are you wasting your time casting Deathrite Shamans if you aren't just going to win on your third turn? What are you doing with your Lingering Souls deck that's any better than just casting the same Deathrite Shaman and winning on your third turn? Eh, it's, yeah, it's been- yeah, that's like the that's the the way you usually play the first games because after sideboarding, the Kratov pr- plan is somewhat harder to pull off. Right. And well, that's another, why I'm so much about Deathrite Shaman, because it gives you so much more reach and play in the long game. Yeah, and the other advantage is, it, it, it happened, Let's. I mean, you've played Elves enough to know, the old build that, that used to NO for Progenitus, getting, having a Crater Hoof in your hand on the second turn or third turn is fine with Cradle. The, you know, the other thing is, Legend, being able to chain Cradles probably probably picks you yeah. up another 3 or 4 percentage yeah. points in your wins too, right? Like Even way, way more. Way more, like, okay. Especially after sideboarding, chaining cradles happens so much more often than natural ordering for pro Kratov. Right. Like chaining cradles happens like every fourth game to win the game. I've lost to elves with a cage and a Gattachee and a Linvala out. That's yeah. how stupid. <laughs> and then you just tra- uh, cradle cradle into Kratov and yeah, yeah, nice hate cuts, bro. That's what I mean. It's really hard to to ha- actually hate elves. Yeah. Well, what you could do is you could ban Gaius Cradle. Yeah, you could do that. I mean, I wouldn't want to, I, but. Uh, yeah, me neither, of course, but <laughs> well, I feel like if if something out of Elves and out of Mercus, I mean, Mercus would just kind of vanish as a deck if you hit any of the key cards. Um, but if if that happened, I guess I couldn't really complain. I'd probably look more towards unbanning something first, see how it shakes out, and then, okay. You know, we unbanned, we unbanned Mind Twist and we unbanned Black Vice. And it's had zero penetration. See land tax. See a couple of the other recent unbans, right? And um, I can't think of off the top of my head why uh, miracles. I can see maybe having a problem with a, a vice on the draw in some kind of aggro deck. I mean, vice is just such a terrible top deck. Elves obviously wouldn't give a shit about vice. Mind twist. I think setting up a good a good game controlling mind twist is not going to impact elves at all any more than him impacts you right now which probably isn't yeah, yeah. i feel i feel mind twist would just like increase variance in the format it wouldn't be, really be a good card i mean if you want to do a really good mind twist that's like x equals four that's five mana 
and casting a five mana sorcery and resolving it, that's like you can do a lot of shit in Legacy when you get to resolve a five mana spell. And I wouldn't really feel like Mind Twist would be so much over the top. No, I don't think I don't think either of them would. Uh, would and e them. Even if I mean, people would start running misdirections and diverts and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it would get really messy for the Mind Twist player, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I've had a Mind Twist uh, misdirected on me. It's miserable. I mean, mis misdirecting a him is is miserable enough, but uh, yeah. But I mean, we've talked about this many times. I mean, him is when does him get better? Sorry, when does um, Mind Twist get better than him? I think when Mind Twist gets better than him is when control decks play Mind Twist. And like, the the classic, keep in mind the history of those two cards being on the ban list has absolutely dick and nothing to do with Legacy. Those, those are just the holdovers from before the list split. So, you know, Black Vice isn't banned in Legacy because there was some Legacy deck that was running rampant and Stasis was killing everyone. And it was restricted in Vintage at the time when it exactly. split, right? So Correct. because of that, it was auto-banned. Correct. That was the whole... Yeah. And so the... The Mind Twist play in, in Vintage actually was never really about generating copious amounts of mana and Mind Twisting. It was about the control mirror coming down to who mana drained the other guy's spell and then resolved Mind Twist. And But that was that was like literally 10 years, you know, 15 years ago at this point. And I just, but the thing is, like, when you don't have mana drain to fuel Mind Twist, it is definitely not as good. Like yeah. Simple. Yeah, no, it, it's, it wouldn't be as good. And, and if you're, again, to Julian's point, if you're trying to trying to burn a, your first couple of turns generating mana, or you're putting a grim monolith out off your ancient tomb, and, I mean, all to set up a mind twist, it's, you've cast a five mana sorcery anyway, you should, you probably deserve to win, you know, it could have been... Yeah, that's what I mean by increased variance. If, you, if you're actually fueling the mind twist with additional tools like, like, grim, uh, a grim monolith and all that kind of stuff, you're also losing out on, like, losing cards, and you have to make up for it, and... Yep, yeah. It's it's it forces like it's it plays the pox deck play in a way like you're destroying everything that's on the table and enhance and then we're playing from the top right and ho it, it hopes to be the better top deck I, I just like I I just bias these kind of decks like not power level wise but playing against it and playing with it and I don't know but it's it's definitely not overpowered and what are the chances that your opponent doesn't have a spell pierce like you're like oh my opponent yeah I'm just gonna like mind twist you for maximal and then they're just like spell pierce goodbye. Yeah, and, and it doesn't even impact the board. Like, if you want to mind twist for four, which I guess is the sweet spot, uh, it's probably when you're already behind on board in some way. Yeah. Unless you're running a lot of acceleration and maybe Stoneforge and... Uh, no, I just think pinpoint disruption is always going to be better. Like, when you want to protect your stone... Let's say... I mean, here's what you want when you're playing a Stoneforge Batter Skull deck if you're playing black. You want a Thoughtseize to clear removal and or a force, and then you want to play your Stoneforge now that you've thought seized them, you have the confidence to be able to go get Batter Skull and make sure you're not stuck with a brick in your hand. So Mind Twist doesn't help you further that game. I mean, I, if, if some kind of Asper Control deck maybe plays a Mind Twist and it's good in Control Mirrors, but I still think if you're not fueling it off a of Mana Drain, it's just not that good. And if you're playing four of them in some kind of Braids Stompy deck with Ancient Tombs and Urborgs, you're, you're back to the whole Stompy problem anyway, which is that over nine rounds... You're going to get at least two bad hands, two and a half bad hands, be on the draw some number of times, and you're going to lose those games against Spell Pierce, or just, you're going to be on the draw against Rug, they're going to Spell Pierce, Daze, stifle you into Oblivion, and it's no worse or better than any of the other Stompy decks, you know what I mean? So, yeah. And you know what, if it creates a new archetype where you have a Braid Stompy list, like, more power to the format, right? Sorry, Julie. 
now, now I was just like, okay, and now let's focus on the card that really needs to get unbanned, which is Earthcraft. <laughs> because, I mean, we've got a prop decay in the format, uh, it's, uh, and you have to even pass the turn. I mean, yeah, you make an, like, an infinite number of tokens, whatever, then you just die to Ructus Charm. Uh, oh, it's, uh, Earthcraft it just... is terrible. You know, Earthcraft can be revoked. Earthcraft can be uh, abrupt decayed. Uh, you have to have basics in play to use it. You need green, green one to actually cast the thing that gives you infinite squirrels that are going to get engineered, plagued, or Golgari charmed away. Or, or you can just fucking Golgari charm the fucking Earthcraft or the fucking squirrel nest. I mean, that card is stone awful right now. And elves, I assume, Julian, I mean, there is zero incentive for you to play that card in elves at this point. It doesn't accelerate your plan in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I don't want to play squirrel nest, and I'm definitely not going to use, like... I'm not going to pay two mana for an Earthcraft when I can have the same effect, like... For Korean Ranger, well, it's not the same effect, but almost. Yeah, and you're not going to fill a deck that mulligans sort of aggressively with crap like Squirrel Nest, which is bound to be a complete fucking brick when you get it a six card mulligan. Um, yeah, yeah, Earthcraft could come off. I the the, the those three are probably the the home runs that you know you could take off, and you know Black the argument against Black Vice, and I hate losing to Burn more than anybody on this revolving Earth, but the argument against Burn or against Black Vice is maybe it would make Burn more oppressive. I could maybe get behind that a little bit. I think Burn has picked up probably the best card in the last couple of months in in Eidolon, but it's the worst top deck in the history of Magic. And keep in mind, Black Vice was also banned and restricted back when you you drew on the play and the draw, and there was no such thing as partial Paris. That's how old that that that's how old that banning is. You know, now if you have an opponent, it's kind of funny because six, Black Vice really accompanies um, uh, Eidolon really well. Because with Eidolon, you want to hold your spells. Yep. And with Blackwise on the table, you actually want to play your spells. And I think that's actually quite interesting. But, I mean... It's not fun. I wouldn't mind I'm, no one's ever going to make yeah. the argument that being under a Black Vice and being mana screwed is fun. But don't tell me it's any more broken than Show and Tell or Natural Order or... You know, it's just not... Especially Natural Order, Julian. I don't think Natural Order is all that broken. I cite it out all the time. Like, I used to keep it in, like, for most matchups, but these days, unless I'm playing something that's really not gonna do anything about it, I sided out against almost every blue deck because I feel very comfortable just outgrinding them in the long run. I sided out against Miracles, I sided out against Stone Blades, I sided out against, I don't know, almost anything. Because it's such a heavy commitment, and then you get something and they have Constant Judgment, and you're like, okay, I could have just gotten Runs Run Packmaster and grinded you out. But I definitely agree on show and tell. I mean, <laughs> can't really argue against it. And you don't even wanna like. Th I guess the, the the argument for show and tell is, is that you can somewhat easily hate it by having some some things to drop off it, uh, even against Grizzlebrand. But I mean, you don't wanna do that because that's a very very pinpoint sidebot slot that you have to dedicate and you have to have it in hand. And, and so you really wanna play like three or four copies. Of the card you want to put in, and that's just for really just one single matchup, and I don't see that happening, and yeah, that's, that's why. I well, we all agree that it's it's by far and away in a vacuum better than Black Vice. I mean, there are, we could we could rattle off seven or eight <laughs> cards that are currently not, not banned that yes. are all better than Black Vice. Agreed. Yes. Okay, new flavors of miracles. Um, I've noticed for quite a while that a lot of the miracles players I play with in Munich, and there's a lot, and these are all good guys. Um, they keep in and treat the angels when they're playing the mirror match, even though like 
a lot of other people say, okay, in the mirror match you always side out and treat the angels. They actually keep it in. And I've seen it countless times where one person has established countertop and chase, and the other one is like, yeah, whatever, and treat the angels for five, what's you, what you're gonna do? Then he's like, hmm, force of fill, yeah, I've got a force of fill as well, so... In this kind of situations, neither chase nor countertop really do anything. I mean, granted, you chase shouldn't be able to, to brainstorm like several times because otherwise you're just you have too many disruption spells. But like the way I see it, it's probably a really good card. And like the new the new approach, I kind of recognized yesterday, and I didn't even believe it. I guess the the, the people who do it did it were trolling. They are playing four main deck and treat the angels. What? Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen it in action like time and again, and it, 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 it's totally busted. Like you play this miracle stack, that's like every third or fourth turn you just can generate three angels, and it actually puts your opponent to the test. Like, can you handle this? Because almost no deck can handle like three or four angels end of turn out of nowhere. And even if they can, yeah, whatever. I'm gonna do that again later. And I mean there are decks where you don't need it, I guess against elves it's not needed because you only need Entreat the Angels like as the ga as the card to close out the game before elves can recover. But against all these mid-range kind of decks, like I don't know, against Chand, against all these Dark Mavericks and what else was there, like any flavor of mid-range, any flavor of death, right, I would say, except for elves maybe. <laughs> um, they just randomly generate angels and they do it again and again and again. And suddenly you're in the position that you are asking the questions with miracles and all, everything else that's in the deck is just utility. And yeah, it, it sounds kind of crazy. And I don't know, I guess they have to run for Chase and of course for Brainstorms to kind of justify that. But I, I wouldn't believe it unless I had actually seen it like win so many games. People just slamming four main deck and treat the angels. And I, I saw it in lists before. And I was talking to the persons and they were like, yeah, yeah it's funny. Yeah, they, they messed up my list. And at some point, I was like, no, they didn't mess up your list. You're actually playing for and treat the angels. And they even keep them in after sideboarding. <laughs> I get in the mirror. That's incredible. Just... The last two times that I lost to Miracles, I didn't lose to Entreat or Countertop or getting Jace out. I lost to fucking Karanos. Like, oh, yeah, that's that is why. That is why. I am unable yes. to kill that man. Like, I just looked at my deck and I realized that that man, I could not kill him. Like, in any way, shape, or form. You can Karakas him. I mean, he's not. He's never going to be a dude, and yeah, yeah if he's a creature, yeah. yeah. So he's an indestructible enchantment. Good, good fucking luck, you know, with, with what I happen to be playing those those couple of weeks. But, but uh, that guy, I mean, that guy is insane in that deck. He's a tank, like he just uh, like deals three damage, or he draws an extra card, and it's. He's the most glorified div divination ever, I guess. But people <laughs> play him, <laughs> and I haven't really tried it out because in the in the form and treat decks, there's really no space for Karanos. Right. But like Philip and all the other guys, they are running it and they are having great success with it so, thus far. But I believe they even cited out in the mirror. I'm not really sure about that, but I think they do. Oh, we could talk for hours about Philip. About Philip? Yeah. Okay. He just sold his Magic Online collection. Really. Yeah, he he compared his hatred for, uh, to Magic Online to something that I really, really can't repeat because it's probably the biggest hate in the history of mankind that has ever existed. And it's he like probably it. vulgar and racist. And... Yeah, let's call it racist, like very racist. And oh, wow. Said, That's... Like, his hate for Magic Online equals to that. Um... His hate for ice cream, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that ice cream man. 
Uh, and yeah, it's it's kind of sad because he he was ready to start out streaming and all that kind of stuff, and and he got streaming, but he messed up with the interface, and so he he lost to the interface in a way because he wasn't very familiar with it yet, and he, it got a frust got him frustrated, I guess. And oh, one I of the reasons yeah, he mentioned was that he can't justify doing anything else. Like when you sit down at the computer, you play Magic on, and you're not playing Skyrim, you're not playing GTA, whatever. And I actually have to agree that. That's one of my problems as well, in a way. Like, I sit, I come home from work, and I sit down at the computer, and I know I could play StarCraft, I p could play Skyrim or whatever, but why could, why should I, when I can also, like, try to improve in Magic by playing Magic Online? So, 95% of my gaming time is spent playing Magic Online, and the other is, like, some VU games that I really want to finish at some point. So, I can see where he's coming from, So, but it's kind of sad. Yeah, that's another podcast, like, the fucking electronic games monthly podcast I, I i work in software all day so when i i want to feel valuable paper magic cards i want to touch them and see them on the, yeah. the battlefield the tactile sensation is what i actually play like being able to do this hold on let me let me ripple shuffle these expensive cards uh, oh i wouldn't ever do that to my cards <laughs> Like, when people mistreat their children, they when they abuse their children, there's some office you can call, some authority, and they will take them away. But there's no magic authority that you can call when people rape their beta islands. Point being, we're getting back to, I like the tactile sensation of shuffling cards, talking to people, yeah. unrolling my mat, talk, like, yeah. all of that is part of the experience of playing yeah. magic. And it's not just, like, how good was I today. It's, you know what, even if I was total shit, and I really made a lot of mistakes, which, you know what, yesterday that even happened. But I got to sit down, I got to have coffee, I got to talk to people. I got, that was what it was about, it was about the social experience. But there is very little social experience when you're just playing Magic uh, Online. I wouldn't even say that. Like, Don't underestimate the community aspect. I was just going to mention the community aspect of Magic Online is much bigger than you would imagine. Like, I'm playing against all these people that I'm meeting at the GP, and I know their nicknames on Magic Online. So it kind of creates, its, its how would you call it, like a subcosmos of, of people that know each other, that know the other person is good and when you face them in a daily event it's always like okay let's see let's see like it's not the random person that like i don't know fucks your mom 28 or whatever you want to call him it's it's like a real person and and you're playing him and you know who he is and you know like how he's gonna react to all of this and i mean and, and let's not get into streaming like streaming is one of the biggest social experiences in magic i think I streaming adds to it that, that's a good yes. point if you're actively streaming and you have some banter back and forth but there's a few things in Magic Online we'll never be able to do. Like, I'm in the semifinals of the Vintage event on Saturday, and I'm playing against the same Storm opponent that I played in the Swiss, who I beat, with my Dega Vintage deck. And um, we split the first two games. Game three, he's back on the play after I crushed him in game two. And I open on White Lay Line, which is about all I can hope for on the draw. And um, he'd been showboating in the prior game that he won, and we had just sort of... He was he was getting on my nerves anyway, but he he was showboating for a while and he said so you uh, kicked I'm, him under the table, right? You're just like like wow. well, he said he said oh, I'm gonna get empty and I'm just gonna time walk and kill you. He said, do you want me to play it out? I said, yeah, I want you to play it out because the only way I can win this game is if you draw extra cards and get a game loss. So he doesn't actually make any errors, goes through all the motions, eventually empties for some large amount, and time walks and kills me. So in game three, I open on white ley line. He's on the play and he gets one of the most busted openers you can fucking hope for in vintage storm which is turn one bargain um Ooh. so i've got pretty much a zero percent chance of winning at this point and uh yeah so the bargain i have a white ley line maybe i hope that he didn't bring in chain of vapor or something because he hasn't seen the white ley line but anyway 
he uh, he's got the bargain down, and he goes, uh, "I'm gonna pay five life and draw five cards." I said, "All right," and he counts the cards out: one, two, three, four, five, six. And I just look right over at the judge who was sitting there because it was the quarter, the top four. And I say, "Judge, that's drawing extra cards," <laughs> and it's drawing extra cards. And he was furious. And did he put them into his hand, or were they separate still? No, he had pulled the card into his hand. And, wow, what a noob! And you know, so I. The, he wanted to appeal, and when the judge walked over, he was he was crying at me about being rules lawyer. And I said, "Well, it doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> it, there is no rules to lawyer here. You've drawn an extra card. This is competitive REL, like it or not." And like he says, "Well, it makes no difference." And I said, "Well, in my hand, I might have spirit guide, spirit guide, spirit guide, crossing grip." And he just kind of sat there <laughs> dumbfounded, and because he, he, he didn't understand the real problem is you never pass me priority back, and like you know, it's just cost effect. You pay the life, you draw the card. And I I have the ability to respond unless you explicitly retain priority. So like, and he was salty as a day old fish and uh, and he lost. And um, that'll never happen on Magic <laughs> Online, right? Yeah, but I guess that's a good thing that something like, I mean, it makes for a good, somewhat good story, I guess. But <laughs> overall, like not having to worry about rules is also like a big upside in Magic Online with regards to, I guess, Avoiding trouble. Not if you're the more, right. not if you're the more careful, experienced player, meticulous player. Yes. Yeah, but even then, I mean, you st people still lose a lot on Magic Online due to not uh, knowing the rules. Like there was this person, uh, I think you read it on on uh, the source today, and he asked, um, "When I cast Spellsetter Sprite, and it's my only fairy in play, and I want to target like let's say him to Torch." I can cast Spellsetter Sprite, put the trigger on the stack, and then activate Neuter Vault. And this doesn't work on Magic Online. Why doesn't this work? So it turns out the guy didn't know that you have to actually first activate Neuter Vault and then cast your fairy to target a two-mana spell. And he didn't know that, so he lost. So it's not like your Magic Online is helping you out. It's just helping you out with like like mechanical things, yeah, like drawing extra cards doesn't happen. Yeah, you'll never lose on a mechanical error, right? Yeah. Unless there's like so many mechanical errors built right into Magic Online where you just lose, but at least you get compensation. But the problem is you still lost your time and your tournament. And like, yeah, when you, you lose to a bug, like, that's you annoying. You just can't beat the look of anguish and yeah, frustration yeah, on this person's I mean, face. He's come this far and he, he just thinks he's this fucking storm guru and he doesn't even know how to operate his fucking Yawgmoth's bargain. And I'm playing Daga and he's just humiliated the fact that he's about to lose twice to... A yeah, I think that the, the whole reason why me and others devote so much time to Magic Online, in fact, is Paper Magic. Because we really want to do good in Paper Magic, we really want to do well in Paper Magic, that's why we play so many Magic Online. And in the end, it's all about Paper Magic, and not because the experience in Magic Online is somewhat comparable, it's just the, like, it, it's, some, it's a way of training. Like, training is fine, but you still want to play your real match. Yeah, we've all and watched Rocky all day, before, but... I think. We, we understand yeah. how training fits in, you know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and when you sit down and you're playing this huge Russian guy, and he's like, I don't know, pumped up with uh, whatever, some kind of drugs, and you've been training out in the woods and wrestling bears with your Enchantress deck, and then you're Looks like, like yes. weight training. <laughs> we're gonna get you. I've actually been playing Enchantress recently because I picked up the last of the pieces, all Korean, all pretty much signed by artists I've who seen aren't that, dead. Yeah. And uh, it's been great fun. It's uh, it's one of my favorite pet decks. I've tried a couple of splashes. I tried a, a blue splash for energy field, a couple of cyborg cards. And um, I actually just got a Russian Doomweight Giant. So I'm going to play Enchantress with a Miser's Abyss and a Miser's nice. Doomweight Giant. That thing is fierce. When it has Shroud, good luck. If you're just some little man-based deck, uh, you know what that guy does? 
You don't, Matt. You've never played no, I don't. fucking Doom Link Giant in your life. Hold on. I have it in front of me. Bow oh, to me faithfully. It's four and a black. It's uh, it's an enchantment creature. It's a four six, and it reads Constellation. Whenever it enters the battlefield or another enchantment you control enters the battlefield, creatures target opponent controls get minus one minus one till the end of turn. So wow. Yeah, and obviously in Enchantress you're generating insane amounts of mana. So first of all, with Sterling Grove, I've been also running a one of Corsair Crufix, which has been really good too. Um, he's he's not spectacular, but when he has Shroud, he's pretty good. And he, um, he he's, he's sort of like your fifth exploration in that you can set up Miri's Guile stacks to where you have the land on top of your you have a spell on top of your library. You can put the land next, Corsair it into the play, and your Miri's Guile becomes you know more of a, like an active part of your turn. So he lets you chain a little bit further. Um, so I think this guy's the next logical step. And, and then once all your guys, once you have Sterling Grove out, obviously all your enchantments have Shroud. So even if you have the Abyss out, this guy doesn't care. And your Corsair doesn't care. And of course your Enchantresses have Shroud. They don't care. So I'm going to try to run some kind of Dark Enchantress. And um, it gives you slightly better sideboard options that let you be a little bit more interactive with combo, which is always the, combo is always the big problem. If you don't get your White Ley Line, you're generally sunk. So I think that's a, that could be pretty good. Keep us updated. Card looks pretty sweet. Sorry, I had a three o'clock. I had a three o'clock card stop. So, um, I'll get this. I'll get this uh, saved off and sent to Sam. But I, I've said my piece, and now um, Julian can regale you with tales of uh, pooping in a bucket while he streams for fifteen hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I recently started streaming again, and I've been really digging it, and it's it's super super. <laughs> I was just about to say awful, no, awesome, and I got the new stream overlay, and I I completely revamped all my Twitch profiles and stuff because I, I have more time to stream now, and I'm really looking forward to it. So I like my regular streaming sessions have been like seven hours, sometimes eight hours, like after work, and I I know it's too long because I can't get to bed, but recently. I had to really, really play a lot of Magic, and some of you guys might know this, there's the MOX, the MOSC, uh, Magic Online Championship Series, and there's 12 seasons, each season runs for about a month, and if you win enough tournaments in a single month, you'd qualify for the season, champion, uh, the season finals, there's going to be 12 season champions, um, constructed player of the year, limited player of the year, reigning world champion, and reigning Magic Online world champion. Um, the 16 of, of them are gonna compete in the Magic Online World Championship, whatever. It's like a series of qualifier tournaments, but each month there's some kind of PTQ in a way that you have to qualify through it, um, like through the running mock season. It's, it's super complicated. It took me two years to finally understand how that works, and I guess most of you won't understand it from this short description. Anyways, so the season 9 is Legacy. Each season has a different format, but season 9 is the only Legacy where the finals are gonna be played in Legacy. And because the winner not only qualifies for the Magic Online World Cup, which is probably the, the, the most impressive thing to get, uh, the winner also goes to the Pro Tour. So in a way, you could call it the only legacy PTQ of the entire year. You expect around two to 300 people, so I guess it, it's one of the bigger PTQs. But I really wanted to qualify. And in order to qualify, you have to get 35 qualifier points over a month, over a month to, to qualify for the season finals. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna get there. Uh, I don't feel, I don't really feel like getting there. Okay, it's not gonna be that important. But then somebody notified me, hey, the season finals is legacy. You really wanna be there, right? And I was like, oh my god, yeah, I still have to grind points. And so I checked, and I had 28 qualifier points. So I was like, okay, the season ends on um, Wednesday noon, about Wednesday noon. So 
I actually have to work on Wednesday, so I only have like Tuesday night to get seven more qualifier points, which is quite a lot because if you win uh, a Legacy Daily event, you get three. If you win an eight-man uh, eight-man tournament, you get two. If you go to the finals, you you get one. So, considering that like a Legacy uh, Daily event takes about close to four hours. And I didn't want to go all that late into the night. I felt like, okay, I really have to do well. So I started streaming at 7 p.m. And I was hoping to get there by like, I don't know, 2 a.m. in the morning. Because the next day I had to work at 11 a.m. And yeah, it, I did kind of well. I, I 3 won the Legacy Daily event, which gave me one qualifier point. Then I guess I got another through some 8 minutes. Um Long story short, I had been chasing the last two fucking qualifier points for almost four hours and couldn't get them. I was streaming until four in the morning. Then I felt like, okay, I really can't keep, I really can't keep streaming because it, it's it's draining my mind, like playing and streaming. And I really want to get those points. And there were only like twenty or thirty people watching, so I was like, okay, guys, I'm gonna call it a day, and I'm just gonna grind these these qualify points. And I couldn't get there. I don't know. I was going to the semifinals of every eight man I played in Madden, but I, I just kept losing and it was so awful because I knew I had to show up for work at fucking 11 a.m. And I still needed those points. And I had, at this point, I had kind of already pulled an all-nighter and I, there was no going back. So I kept playing, kept playing. And fortunately, one of my very good friends from, from Spain who invited me to the Arcanus 20k and if you're from anywhere from Europe you should definitely go there and if you don't know about it like ask me on Twitter it's Julian23 and I'm gonna give you all the infos anyways he provided me with a standard deck he gave me what no, no red white burn so at about Five nine in the morning no even later it was like nine in the morning I entered my final standard eight man like it was already the first eight man because I, I tried my luck in Legacy and, and um, Modern Legacy never fired and Modern I always lost. So at 9 I joined the day, the 8 man and long story short I, I went to the finals and I really had to win the finals and the guy actually wanted to split the finals so it was okay so I, I got my last qualifier points I needed and I hit the 35 spot at about 10am. At this point I had streamed from, se from 7pm <laughs> until 10am the next morning which is I don't hours. even know. Yeah, it's 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 15 hours. I I had been playing Magic Online for 15 hours straight, uh, nine eat? of which I had been streaming. Yeah, I, I ordered some pizza. I don't even remember. I think I ordered pizza. I I'm pretty sure I ate something, but it was so surreal. Like I I finally got it. I got in the shower. I got dressed. I went to work because everybody on Facebook was telling me, "Oh my God, you have to call in sick. You can't do that." Yeah, I'm gonna call in sick because I had been playing video games the entire night. Yeah, that works. <laughs> 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 the, yeah, that doesn't work. So I showed up for work and oh my god, it was like you were a the most day at work ever because I had not cut my fingernails. I, I My eyes were looking like shit. And that very day, I had somebody visit us at the office uh, who was somewhat important and he wasn't expected because he's like from the other end of Germany but he randomly shows up at the office and I have to go in a meeting with him and I feel so awful because I'm just wearing like almost like this kind of hoodie and he's got like this I don't know 2,000, 5,000 euros suit and whatever uh, but when I got out of the office and I got home and I felt like yes I've got, I, I made it like I got my qualifier points and I showed up for work and the day is gonna be over it, it felt like it almost felt like the way I felt after I had turned in my master thesis. That's that's the kind of feeling. Like you guys, uh, at least some of the listeners who know me might know that there was like a fun story about my master thesis, and I also pulled an all-nighter, and I actually printed it out 
at a shop past midnight because one of my uh, friends, uh, she worked at the store and she was kind enough to open the store up again for me to print out my master thesis and, and rush through the university and hand it. But anyways, we are getting off topic. So yeah, I pulled a 15-hour grinding session on Magic Online to get into what I call the legacy PTQ. And it is going to fire next Saturday, I believe. So there's like two or three thousand people, two or three hundred people playing Legacy. Uh, winner goes to the Pro Tour and represents um, Legacy at the Ma World Magic Cup, Online Cup, whatever. I'm, I'm still not, not sure, but winner goes to the PT, and that's what it's all about. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> did you sleep for like the? In did you basically get home from work and then sleep until work the next day? Uh, no, I got I got home from work at about 7 or 8 p.m. And then I played a Legacy 8-man. Oh, fuck. And <laughs> I think I played some more Legacy, yeah. And then I went to bed at around midnight. And I, oh, oh, yeah, and the next morning... <laughs> the next morning, I totally forgot I had to go to work. Like, I got up at 10. I was like, yeah, okay, let's have breakfast. Let's take a shower. Okay, what's up on TV? Let's watch some How I Met Your Mother reruns. And then, like, half an hour later, I'm like, oh my god, Julian, you're so stupid, you have to go to work. And I felt so sad, because I felt like it was the weekend, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was dreaming about magic the entire time. Um, I tweeted about it, like, at work, I sometimes fell asleep for 30 seconds, and the most fucked up dream was, I, I had a dream about John F. Kennedy, and you know, like, his, his big speech about, we will put a man on the moon and return him home yeah. safely and whatever. So, in my mind, it was... It was John F. Kennedy announcing that the U.S. want to go to the moon, but instead of announcing, like, the space program, he was announcing kitchen things. <laughs> yeah. And it, to made, like, it made total sense. Like, he, he was in front of all these journalists, and he was like, and we are going to cast kitchen things. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And that's, that's a dream I had, because I had been playing so much modern, and I was playing... Um, Angel Pot and Kitchen Things is like one of the cards and uh, yeah. You realize it's super fucked up, right? I'm back to a normal schedule now, I guess. I streamed only until 4am in the night. No, no, I didn't stream, I played. But I also recently streamed until 4am in the morning. That's crazy. I love it. You're still crazy. That's yeah, so much time. Like that's, that's the legacy lifestyle. <laughs> that's when you're dedicated like, I don't know, I mean you probably know the same. You go to a GP, you play for two or even three days, and then you go home and you want to play some more. Like, when I come home from a GP, the very first thing I want to do is, like, play in a legacy le the next Legacy Daily event. I don't know, usually I want to sleep, because usually I have to travel for them, so... Yeah, sleep. Sometimes you have to sleep, I guess. Sometimes. So why do Europeans call them merfolks, and not merfolk? <laughs> um, I've been asking that myself because i've seen it on tc decks or whatever that there are often lists that that list merfolks and in my experience it's only the italians and spans like do you say spaniards spaniards yeah spaniards yeah that call them merfolks and i don't know why but probably like, it has to do with like some sort of conjugation error right like could be because like it's it's you know sheep right you call them sheep they're not sheeps yeah <laughs> it's one merfolk two merfolk yeah exactly yeah Three I don't know. Um, in Germany, nobody uses the term merfolks. That makes no sense. Because nobody plays it, so it doesn't matter. Uh, not a lot, yeah. Uh, like yesterday, I saw LSV play a really interesting format against Tom Martell on Magic Online. And basically, it's if you're familiar with StarCraft 2 or like Brute War or StarCraft in any way, it's like Winner's League. And to anybody who doesn't understand what Winner's League is, um, in Magic terms, that means 
you agree upon a format. In their case, it was vintage. And then everybody picks a certain number of decks. Of decks. Like, they picked, uh, I think, three decks each. And then you randomly select your first deck. Or not randomly, but the other person doesn't know what you're playing. And then you sit down and you play. Winner stays. Loser gets to pick a new deck. Oh, okay. And until you've de defeated all of your opponent's decks. So it's like a meta game inside a meta game. And it, it's a really interesting format. Uh, unfortunately, LSV just crushed Tom Mattel 3-0. He just kept playing Tesseret, and uh, Tom Mattel couldn't pick any deck that actually won. So I'm thinking about, and I have like shortly talked to Mark Barra about yeah. maybe do doing that for Vintage, uh, for, for Legacy and Magic Online. Like, but you maybe know what Mark's going to do? Mark's just going to be like Barra Band, Barra Band with some changes, Barra Band number three with some changes. <laughs> Yeah, then I'm just gonna play elves each time and easily take away the win. <laughs> that's that's. that's I mean, there there must be some kind of gentleman's agreement upon like you're you're actually playing a different archetype or like a different deck. I think that shouldn't be. Yeah. I so mean, for in me, the I end, play, it's like, all about big the, junk and gen. Yeah, it's in the end, it's all about like the viewers should have fun, and if you're like only doing slight alterations, that's not gonna help anybody. But I have to talk to Mark uh, about it again because I I really like the idea if you could make it in like like some real event. Uh, and obviously we would need some people to to provide cards, but it hasn't been an issue lately because there are so so many friendly guys on Twitch chat. Like somebody um, actually was willing to lend me an entire vintage deck so I could stream vintage. And Mark always borrows uh, legacy decks. Uh, like this afternoon we were borrowing um, 12 posts because we were. I often Skype in. That by the way, that's another like one of the big cool things about streaming and and the community aspect of Magic Online. Like you Skype into another streamer and the other streamer Skype into you. So there's a lot of crossover and you 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 recognize people and it, it's it's just awesome. So, anyways, like if you wanna build a deck on Magic Online and you're streaming, there are really a lot of very helpful and friendly guys who will always help you out. So, uh, in the name of me and every other streamer, thank you, thank you a lot, really. <laughs> also, if people want to donate to uh, Julian's <laughs> stream to no. help out with some tech or you you really don't have to. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I just I just added it uh, as an option because uh, a friend of mine has actually been bugging me about it. Like edit, edit, edit. So I edited it, and uh, like I, I mentioned it in my in my stream description. I'm really not dependent dependent on the money. It's more like oh my god, look, somebody donated five euros. Now I can almost order a pizza. Like uh, <laughs> it it would just feel awesome. Like somebody from the other end of the world actually for paying for my pizza while while, while I'm streaming. That's so much better that ju than just like randomly getting money and not knowing what to do with it. <laughs> yeah, or you can just help fund like pimping out your elves deck. It's almost done. It's there are five fetchlands left, and I made a deal for four of them. Like I'm gonna buy four with a foothills English foil for two hundred eighty euros. That's fine. So there's only one fetchland, and depending on what kind of sideboard I run, maybe three more thought seasons, and that's like more expensive. Three foil English Thought Seasons should be about uh, 375 euros. That much? Wow. Yeah, 125 each. That's so, a lot, sir. Yeah, we, I got some stuff to sell that I don't really need. You gotta work that overtime. Uh, I'm working two jobs, but the second job is mostly just because I enjoy it. Aren't you a citizen? <laughs> Feedback is always appreciated. Email us at everydayeternalcast at gmail.com like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everydayeternalpodcast, or follow us on Twitter at eternalmtg.